that as you, that, first of all, thanks for coming out today. I really appreciate seeing all of you guys. And as you know, this is Kim Michelle Richardson. I'm going to turn it over to her. Uh, first, we're going to play a trailer for her new book, and then she'll have a slideshow presentation for you. The folks of Troublesome Creek have to scrap for everything during the Great Depression. Thanks to Roosevelt's Kentucky Pack Horse Library Project, They've got traveling librarian, Cussie Mary Carter. I'm gonna open up the windows till you world. Cussie's also the last of her kind. Her skin, a shade of blue, unlike most people. Not everyone is keen on her family or the library project. And a blue is often blamed for any hint of trouble. Cussie wants to bring the joy of books to the hill folks. She'll have to confront prejudice as old as the Appalachians. Inspired by the true blue-skinned people of Kentucky and the brave Kentucky Pack Horse Library service of the 1930s, the bookwoman of Troublesome Creek is the story of raw courage, fierce strength, and one woman's belief that books can carry us anywhere, even back home. So uh, that was the um, that was the book trailer that they made, and the woman's voice behind that, her name is Ruby Friedman. Has anybody ever seen the Justified series? She sings "If You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive," and she also sings in the Godless uh, Netflix series and HBO Mean Streets. Uh, so she read the book and she fell in love with it and she wrote a tribute song and the name of it is Book Woman of Troublesome Creek and you can download it on iTunes, Apple or it's on YouTube, the full version of that song. I've got it here, I might play it at the end, uh, the full version, but it's very cool. She uh, wanted to do that and uh, it's, that was really fun. So that's her voice uh, in there singing the song and she mentions little towns in Kentucky and, and so forth. Um, so the book Woman of Troublesome Creek is about, you know, the blues of Kentucky, blue fugates of Kentucky, and the brave, fierce pack horse librarians. And um, so I began this journey writing about them about five years ago and did thousands and thousands of hours worth of research on everything from FDR's programs to uh, food and fauna and floral and everything, food, everything in Kentucky. Even went so far to uh, tell people we lived on a mountain, a little shoebox place we had top a mountain in Appalachia until I fell off the mountain. And yeah, this was, was that two years ago, I believe? And um, I was, it wasn't really a cool story like a snake was chasing me or a bear, which they were all around. It was, I was simply toting Pyrex dishes down some concrete steps for an elderly lady. And she kept turning me around to talk to her. And I 
wanted to be polite, so I was like, okay, now I gotta get this. And I took one step backwards, but there was no step left. <laughs> so the dishes went flying everywhere and nary a scratch on that Pyrex. <laughs> but seven breaks on my arm. So then it wasn't a week later and uh, my husband caught limes. So we said, we better hightail it back home or we're not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to write this book. It's mountains. So we lived there a year, you know, and, and did that. Um, it was amazing, I thought, when I started this journey and I talked to my agent in New York that these brave pack horse librarians had not been given a footprint in literary history. They were in uh, two amazing children's books, really wonderful nonfiction books, but they were not, you know, in novels anywhere. These brave, so when we're talking to my agent, she goes, Is, are they real? And I said, oh yes. They did, they took books up there during the most bloodiest era in Kentucky during the coal mine wars. And, um, through snow and sleet and storms, and they uh, did it for $28 a week. They weren't even given the books. They had to come up with their own ingenious ways to, to get the books. They weren't given a mount. Uh, so I said, yeah, they're, they're really real. And she said, okay, it sounds like you can, that's something you can do. And then a couple of days later, I said, I want to tell you about the blue people of Kentucky. And she said, Kim, are you lying? I said, no. <laughs> uh, they're a small clan that suffered methemoglobinemia, and I explained it. And I've done my research with hematologists and so forth. But anyways, um, so she, I said, um, I think I want to make my protagonist, you know, a blue person. So what I did, the blue fugates, they were discovered in 1964. Uh, but I took liberty since it's a novel and I wanted to explain the methemoglobinemia. They were that, so they became part of my novel here. Uh, it was actually in 1820 that Martin Fugate came over from France to claim a land grant and uh, he married a white redheaded Kentuckian. So what is the chance of finding someone that with that same recessive gene? It's it's insurmountable. So I wanted to give a voice to the blues. Uh, more so, it's a broader message about people that are different from you or me, and we're all different. So that, that was kind of my broader message. So anyways, that, that was that. Um, let's see. And I love this passage. Can I read it a second, please? I usually don't read. Uh, this was written in uh, 1936, I believe, uh, 1935 newspaper. Down hell for certain creek, they start to deliver reading books to 57 communities, read one 1935 newspaper caption underneath a picture of writers. The intelligence of the Kentucky mountaineer is keen, wrote a contemporary reporter. All that is ever said been said about him, to the contrary, notwithstanding, he is honest, truthful, and God-fearing, but bred to peculiar beliefs, which are the basis of one of the most fascinating chapters in American folklore. He grasped and clung to the Pike Horse Library ideal with all the tenacity of one starred for learning. So I thought that was cool. And if you get the book, 
uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, I'm sorry, Books a Million is here uh, today, and they've got uh, my publisher also inserted gorgeous historical photos in the back, which Kentucky State Archives were gracious enough to get us. Also, it's a Books a Million expert pick right now, too. Um, I'm assuming nationwide. And it's uh, also winning a little bit of love. Uh, Oprah gave it some love and named it the buzziest pick for May, and then it won its library awards um, for May and Indie Pick, and and then the SEBA, that's Southern um, Independent Book Alliance. So, anyways, that's about that. Um, I don't know how many's read the book. Okay. So I won't give away any spoilers. So does anybody have any questions for, for a minute? And these pictures here that are up, like that's a, from uh, the 1930s, an original map of the Pike Horse Librarians. And it, it was really cool. Um, let me see if I got there. The woman fourth from the, the left, uh, talked to her great-granddaughter. She's So there's some, yeah, I think it's kind of going on its own. So you can kind of see some of the historical, beautiful, beautiful pictures, you know. Does anybody have any? Yes. Yeah. Um, after, she, she Skyped with us last night from mm -hmm. the group, so. But one of the things that I've been thinking is we're, we're thinking about doing a small book group for well, you can write my publisher there, and, and you know, if, if enough, you know, want something, they will. Well, and, and my, my question was, you know, when I read a book, I don't think about, you know, is this little piece appropriate for, you know, 14-year-olds, you know, or whatever. So I, I, I would have to read it again and see whether it might stand alone the way it is. Well, I have, um, I don't know that it's appropriate for, I can't say that myself. It's appropriate for high school. Ninth grade and up. Ninth is eighth grade. Eighth grade. Well, that's, yeah. But I would love for it to be from a history Then you need to, to, to email my publisher. Because I, huh? We're educators, so. Then please email my publisher. I'd be glad to. Because I'm, what I was going to say next is, you know, Honey, the little character, I thought about bringing her, you know. <sighs> New York's got me someplace else that they want me to start on, but I haven't made up my mind because I'm really getting a lot of people that want some of these characters to go on and different characters. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> well... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, we'll roll the red carpet out. Anyways, I was going to tell you, a library in Roswell, Georgia, I'm going to be their uh, keynote speaker in March. No, wait. I don't know where I'm at. Allegheny or somewhere. Anyways, and they've got, they're doing, their, their, their school's going to do this. So I was like, I didn't 
catch what ages, but the, they were buying the books for the the school and going to do a history. But you know, so you think it is okay? Okay. Oh, I knew a high school. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Um. Yeah, so all you got to do is email my publisher if you want more of these people. Uh, like I said, it, uh, if there's not a day that goes by I don't feel honored. It's a privilege to be able to introduce them to Kentucky. I know that more books are going to be coming about the Pie Course now, but to be able to do it first and do it in an, my voice, a Kentucky voice, that's a privilege and an honor to me because I want it more than anything. If I couldn't do it, I wanted a Kentucky voice to do it. So that's that's been very, very important to me. Um, let's see what else we got. Some more questions? Yes. What did the great-granddaughter of the lady, what did she tell you about? Well, she just wrote us, wrote the publisher and me, that uh, that's her can't think of her name now. She, re she remembers stories. Her yes, uh-huh. Yes, and uh, since then, too, uh, so we're going to speak about the blues a second. Uh, while before it was published, um, my a, uh, publisher sent around ARCs and, uh, for people, librarians, and so forth in the media. And one of the blues contacted me, and he's a retired librarian living in Oklahoma, and he wrote a beautiful review, but anyways, he wanted me to know that he too just recently discovered that he has the methemoglobinemia. And this disease is, goes two ways. It can be congenital, or it can be acquired. Acquired means by taking too much medicines of certain sorts or so forth the blues had congenital and they were perfectly healthy, lived till way up in their years, you know. Uh-huh, yes. Uh-huh. They found, had found, Dr. Kaywin had found uh, that same recessive gene in certain a certain tribe of Eskimos through his studies. So that's how come that came out, as well as, uh, I think, a doctor over in Ireland. And I've got all my research notes and everything in the back that explains it. So that sounds like perhaps the pockets of population mm -hmm. that, you know, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, didn't, you know, Eskimos didn't wind up in Kentucky, and the, but the Irish did. And perhaps, Mm-hmm. Yes? One of the things that impressed me about this book was the, your ability to take the whole question of who is the other, you know, how do we pe treat people who are different mm -hmm. than we are, and make it accessible on a different, in, in a different storyline, so to speak. Well, I think President Johnson had a, a little good quote about that. Uh, give somebody, somebody, the poorest person, 
white man somebody else to look down on further. It's a beautiful quote. It's it's in actually in my other book, God Pretty, uh, but it, it, I think that's just the way it is. And you know, uh, when I would talk to New York and so forth, and uh, people have wanted to know where the blues are, how many. Um, uh, that's my confidentiality. I would not tell anybody. And when they asked me, I said, "There, he's off limits to you. And that's just the way it is. I gave my word. And you're not going to bother them. Because ABC News and Hollywood came hunting them people down only to uh, cartoon them and to sensationalize them for a story. They put up the false pictures, the pictures you see on Google are not pictures of them. That's a painting done by an artist who was not even told what he was doing, was not even told. He just, they just tricked him into doing that. So that's not, it's a, those are very offensive. Um, so you won't find a blue, picture of a blue in, in my book, and uh, I made it very clear because this is there's it's not just the blues, it was so much more a broader message here as how we treat it's intolerance. It's it's it was just a you know one little thing coming out, and I but it meant the whole scope of if that makes sense to y'all. I think pulling Queen in um, with the African American, mm -hmm. that, that was very well done, like to. Thank you. Yes. And and I had to be careful because Queenie, everybody loved Queenie, and Queenie could easily take over the story. And at one point, you know, this is why Queenie. And when you read about her, but I had to be really careful. People were just falling in love with Queenie, and I was like, no, this is Cussie Mary's story, and this is the blues story. So that's uh, what I had to. You know, that's for somebody else to do, not necessarily for me. Uh, so, but thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. That. Um, another character y'all going to meet in here is uh, the reason her name is Cussie, that's the village in France that uh, her grandparents came from. So it started, and that's pretty well explained in the beginning. And uh, you're going to meet another pers uh, person. It's almost like a person. Junior, the mule. <laughs> and I was telling the book club last night that the day before, the day after I uh, broke my arm, I was supposed to go and ride one at my friend. And my friend, she's called my writer's wife. Her name is Sarah Gruen. She wrote Water for Elephants. And uh, so I did not go get to do that, but I did study uh, up and down about the mule and everything. I get a lot of letters about Junior, <laughs> a lot. I have one librarian up in Seattle or somewhere, and she, oh, she was fussing the whole time she's reading, and I could see it. She doesn't know I can see it. But anyway, she's like, if this damn mule ain't kicking at the end, and then she just couldn't help herself. She just finally read the end before, I mean, just, I'm like, so it's really uh, funny. I do get a lot of, a lot of notes about Junior. So I, I guess it didn't matter that I didn't ride the mule. <laughs> but I've, I'm real thorough in my research, like I said. Um, you know, uh, interviewing fire tire watchmen, you know, and so forth. And I had dinner 
how he came to be in my uh, book is I was up in the mountain and I invited this old mountain man to dinner and that was his story that he grew up in a fire tower and then he went to work in a fire tower and he it was so interesting you know very interesting mm-hmm yeah the research on the coal mining and of course we all know the coal stories and so forth and how the coal miners were treated and and so forth and what they've done to our land and so forth so um, I think at one point I, I was researching in the coal mines and so I sent the draft up back up to my agent and she goes and the more I was researching the more I was getting angrier writing and she goes Paul doesn't talk like this. And I said, well, Paul's mad now. <laughs> so we just carried on. And, you know, you just want to get something across. And sometimes you have to tear that up and write it a thousand times to get it across in a nice way. But she says, Paul doesn't talk like this. All of a sudden, he's giving the coal miners hell, you know, the, the company man. But um, today he did, <laughs> you know, I said. But anyways, it, it's a lot of work on that. Yes? Were all of the book carriers women? There were a few of men. And I don't have the... Oh, there he is. He's in a cu couple of Kentucky pictures. And uh, there he is at the end. Uh, there were a couple of them. And if you've read it, you're going to meet, you know, a couple or one uh, yeah, but they were mainly women because Roosevelt wanted to get the, uh, the women to work. So, but what he did, uh, they had such restrictions like um, if you were going to work for the WPA, you had to open your cupboards, show them you were poor, uh, your husband had to have left you or divorced. And uh, so, because they would come around, you had to take an oath to poverty. So a lot of the men would go up to the cities, they would work and want to get, get enough money to get people to get to Detroit or wherever they were going uh, where there was work, but the women were stuck there. So they would lie and say, you know, my husband ran off, left me. So it's very strict rules, you know, of you're going to get the women to work, but oh, you can't have a working husband in the home. You can't work if you have a working husband in the home. So we, we touch a little bit on that, too. Do you use a lot of government documents? Uh, uh, yeah, I, st I studied FDRs, the WPA, and researched and went through collections of stuff like that. But mine's a novel, but I, I did want to touch on things that just as important as I thought taking swearing an oath to poverty and keeping your cupboards open to make sure you were staying good and poor because they only got $28 a month. <coughs> Nothing else. No books, no horse mount, anything. So that, and that there were many miles, hundreds of miles they rode a week. So, I think there's another. Oh, the court and candle. Well, oh, sometimes I carry one. I didn't have one. Well, what the thing about the court and candle is a playwright uh, from Atlanta, a young playwright, was staying at a residency on a, a, a conservancy, Black Acre, right? And anyways, um, 
I heard she, I would sponsor that, and I heard about it, so I didn't know her, but I wanted to take her pie and books. Who wouldn't like pie and books? So she was showing me around the old antebellum home, and um, she said, do you know what that is? I said, no. So she told me it's a courting candle. So you'll, you know, read about the courting candle. And what they were was the tapers could be raised up and down, depending on who was calling the patriarch, could raise it high for a long visit or very low where it touched the lip. I thought I had one. Anyways, um, much probably like when you were sitting out on your front porch, courting, and your dad's flipping off and on the light switch, you know. <laughs> be done, you know. Uh, it, I have a real old, old one from Germany. So I'm thinking more that they were made for practicality, you know, uh, purposes to keep the candle from slipping. But I thought, how cool would it be to have all these conversations going over and around this? And, uh, and I'm sure they used them over the last hundred years, but I just thought it was a cool thing. So we start out with a courting candle, you know, and so... That's that's what happened. <laughs> I wonder why Cussie's uh, father turned down the suitor five times and Well, we, I don't want to give anything away, but you remember, of course, his former, you know, deal. So that's why Paul's going to be more careful this time, okay? Until he starts really getting sick. So that, you know, of course, he's not willing for uh, Cussie Mary to suffer like that again. But then, you know, he's got to make sure she's protected again at the end when he's getting. So, yeah, that's why. Where did the idea of the preacher come? Uh, preacher? Because <laughs> he really illustrates that. Yeah. Avester Fraser. Well, in my books, I pretty much, you know, Kentucky is heavy and our Bible Belt areas and so forth and going back and, and it just, I've always got something there of a different type of religion or so forth. And uh, those people in the hills were very religious, you know. They didn't want the books up there. They only wanted the Bibles. And uh, they didn't want those women around at all. Then they started opening up about the Bibles, and then when their sons had to go to war, then they learned to read and write and so forth. But anyways, they were uh, the books were banned, as you can see in the beginning. Uh, the library center, only certain books would go out, unless Cussie Mary slipped out a book or two herself. So um, very religious, and they wanted to keep, keep what the Kentucky man wanted you know, religion, you know. So those things, you know, is very careful. Yes, very censored. I was thinking about librarians and, and censorship uh, as you were saying that because, of course, your, your Packhouse librarians, you know, a couple of them had control over everything that happened. They, just, you know, they, they didn't like the Sumerian, they didn't like, you know, certain books and all that kind of thing. And... Uh, Reminds me of the music man and Mary the librarian who, who attempted to bring culture to her community mm -hmm. and uh, the power that a librarian has in a community can be 
Mm -hmm. I can remember going to the library and not being allowed to go to the room where the older people, the adults' books were. And that doesn't mean adult and X-rated. It just means, you know, I'd already read all the kids' books. Mm -hmm. But they wouldn't let me do that. But, of course, I had an older sister, so she'd take them out. Well, this is very much, yes, this is very much a love letter to librarians. Um, they, they do so much for our communities, especially in our cities where we have the homeless, they're in there helping them with the resumes, giving them a little bit of advice and just trying to help. So it was, they're doing their work too. They're not on a mule, an honorary mule, but they are, you know, doing some amazing things out there and their lifelines to so many of us. I could pitch a book. I think it's called The Library Book. It's a relatively new book. Yeah, by Susan. Uh-huh. Yeah, about Su by Susan Orlin. Yes, fascinating. Uh-huh. It's, it's a non-fiction, isn't it? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's fascinating if you like libraries. Yeah, yeah. And who here Yeah. Can you talk about how you bring in character July. I mean, from the minute you kind of have an idea to... Well, I'm really slow. I, uh, my hours are like 14, 16-hour days of writing and research. And um, uh, I don't know quite how, except I know, you know, from my travels and people, and I might pick up on certain things or... I dissect a lot of things. I, I just knew what I wanted this character to be. I wanted her to be a light for others, and you know that was my hope. And I'm, my book is not going to change the world, but if I've planted seeds of empathy and kindness and compassion at the end, then that's all I care about. That's exactly the only thing I care about. Thank you. Thank you. I, it was that was very very important to me, and um, so that's what I'd hope for. You know, it's just, um, and I'm very intuitive too on people. I can, I, I think I have some judgment about people. I'm an old lady, so I, I <laughs> also my husband was a police commander over there in Louisville. Um, police for 31 years, so I've seen the worst and the best of humanity. And he wasn't the Rambo, he's the Andy Griffith. <laughs> I promise you, the most kindest person in the world. So um, so I have seen a lot and heard a lot. In fact, sometimes it would get too much of, there's a file on the refrigerator, and it fell down accidentally, I would scream that it goes out in the police car, don't ever bring files in here again. They would be so bad, and I would see a picture fall out or something. So I was like, you know, but yeah. So I have had seen a lot. Seen what only people hear about what little the news wants them to hear about. I've, I've always written poetry as a child, and I will tell you, I grew up under the grinding hills of poverty. I was raised in a Catholic orphanage for the first 10 years of my life. It was a really a brutal rural Catholic orphanage. And I, I can remember this, I was always writing to Walt Disney, 
asking him to come and save me to be my father. So I always was making my own little envelopes, and I'd give it to sister, and I'd have this letter. I knew they were being trashed. I, well, I figured that out when I got looked back on it now, but I was like, you know, please come. Be, you know, so I was always writing poetry, songs, anything. So, but... Um, I don't think there's any one particular age that you have to start writing at. I'm a, you know, I didn't start writing till I was about 48, you know. So, so it's never too late. Was there something at that point in your life that? Yeah, there was just something I had to say, and all my books are they uh, teeter on social, very strong social injustices. And uh, so if somebody says, that book ended too quick, well, that's all you're getting. It's like I always say, this is, I've said what I have to say. Now you think about that. The rest is for you, you know. But uh, yes, if there's something I'm, pa uh, when this book went to, um, it went to auction in uh, this book. We switched publishers. And when that happens, you get to interview editors, and I had never done that. So with uh, Simon and Schuster and source books, and I got to interview them. They got to see if I hid my crazy good enough, you know, and I tried. <laughs> but anyways, um, one of the editors, she was adorable, funny, crazy, but when she said uh, romance, you know, and I said, that's not going to be 1936 Kentucky, and you will see how this ends. And I don't write romance. So then the next editor, um, she started out, her favorite character was Paul. And she was just, you know, and she got the vision of my book. And I said, hey, I called my agent immediately. This has to go to this editor. I don't care how. If it doesn't, I'm trunking it. So I was that strong and determined, and for no amount of money is it going to the other. So it's very, very important to me to give a, a an honest, what I felt was an honest voice, because it, like I said, it's the first one in the the literary world. So I wanted to, to get it right. At least I could walk away saying, you know what, you did the best you could, because everybody's going to pick. I call this the pineapple effect, and I'm going to tell you why. It's this funny story. So somebody tagged me on social media, raved and raved about this book, and sometimes it's so embarrassing. But she said, one thing, there, how would she have known what a pineapple tasted like? And I flipped out because I'm so, you know, meticulous. And I ran and got the book and opened it to the page, and I, I did it right. I, Cussie Mary gets a row of lifesavers, a nickel row. But she read so quickly, she missed where Winnie had given her that. And so, of course, she knew what pineapple tasted like. You know, Winnie was handing them out to the school. That's the school teacher. So I was like, oh, did I forget that for a minute? Because I thought I even to the point where I made sure somebody in the world's gonna say she couldn't have possibly known what a pineapple tasted like. Well, we have those. So anyways, that's a pineapple effect I call now. <laughs> I don't know why, I just, so, but that is, writers say this, you know, like, um, 
uh, writers freak out. You, you know, if that product is not there in 1932 and it was introduced in 1940, you can't put it out. And so there's a ton, of, or if this type of uh, dress or this hairstyle or it's just anything, you know, we're always trying to make it just perfect. Even though I don't have to, absolutely not, because I've written a novel. But I still want to have that meticulous you know, research, because it grounds the book. It gives it a good grounding. Was that a challenge in changing the, uh, the doctor relationship uh, to, to the 30s from no, absolutely not. It, it, the only thing in my mind is, is going on at this because, first of all, the drug methylene blue, uh, it wasn't going to work, but that methylene blue drug was introduced for cyanide poisoning. Is that correct, Joe? Or carbon monoxide before then. So the drug was available. That was like, oh, yes. Yeah. So I'll tell these people I'm going to take the liberty at the back. But they had been trying to find them for years in those pockets, doctors and stuff. But as I said, it wasn't until 64, so it wasn't a big deal. I'm just, I'm just curious as to whether that was a problem. No. I really, I wouldn't say enjoyed, but I appreciated the scene when Cussie Mary goes to, goes to the hospital in Lexington the first time. Uh, I just appreciated the way, the sensitive way you wrote it from her point of view, what it felt like to be mm -hmm. in this place. Yeah, she was in a like in one of her storybooks. I mean, in a whole different world. So that was just amazing. It's how if you've never been out. Well, I can remember when I got out of the orphanage. Oh my God, that was sirens. I cr cried. I didn't know what they were. You know, I was that rural. I didn't know what. I thought it was some spaceship or something going to come kill us all. I didn't know. You know, it was very scary. First ice cream. Somebody offered me, cried, thought it was mashed potatoes, Philumpy. You know, it's just, it's so, if you don't know these things, think about Cussie Mary it's, it's, and the people in the Hill Folk. Yes? I know you said that you're the first one to write our book for the children's books that are I've had them, you know, I've been busy, we're busy writing the other books, and the agent would say, what do you got going in your brain? I've got something, and I would just slowly start dumping things into my computer, and slowly, and still thinking of it, and still thinking of it. I couldn't leave them, you know, I just, I was like, I'm going to write them. So she, normally what she does, would do, was she would sell my book on a, a little proposal, they didn't even, where it was going was they would uh, read a couple of pages what I thought the book was going to be about, and it never did. I, I took out the guardrails and wrote whatever, but they, they liked my writing, they trusted it. And then uh, after um, Sisters, I think it was, I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sell a book before it's written anymore. I'm, it's too much pressure. And I said, if you'll leave me alone, I think I got something. And we'd already discussed, you know, the Pie Course Librarians and the Blue Fugates. So, and so she did, and I got wrote the bones of it and got it going. But I, I think it was just being free, not having anything over my shoulder, not presenting any two, three, four-page proposal of or synopsis of what this is going to be. It just was so freeing to me. So, yeah. 
Well, that was pretty much like the ice cream and stuff. It was really one, I was, um, like I said, I grew up in an orphanage and um, and then went to foster care and was actually homeless at 14. So uh, I remember being a teen one summer, some foster family had taken me in. But anyways, uh, I spent a lot of time at the library and I was just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know how to, you know, I'll just... The woman said you could go to the library, so I'm there. But the woman, the librarian, was so kind and compassionate. She whipped out this brown paper bag and snapped it open, and she said, took me over to shelves, and she said, and I picked up a book, and she said, I think you can read more than one book. And so I had a great, lovely summer. <laughs> so that's my story on that. So any more questions? I just like to say that I don't normally like books that are written. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored. Thank you. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. It truly does. That's, I'm honored. That's humbled. But. Um, Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Do you have any advice to somebody who is trying to get published or any insight? Have you written your manuscript? Yeah. Okay. Polish and polish and polish it. And get in with other writers, you know. If you're on Instagram, get in with the Am Writing community. Hashtag Twitter, Am Writing. Um, um, don't try to find you some good betas. You know, are you in with a writing group? Uh, so, you know, I have, like, I have Sarah Grun, and she has me, and I have Joshlyn Jackson, so we're all in together. Joshlyn's coming to Kentucky and visit me for the first time in Kentucky in a couple of months. But so if I say this or that, you know, I can run that over with them or. They're freaking out, or the publishing world is just not being everything they dreamed of at the moment, and they're under stress. So it's it's very good to be in that. But um, just polish and polish it, and uh, before you submit to an agent, I'm sure you know how to submit to an agent. If you don't, you need to be on Twitter because they're all on Twitter, and they're begging for stuff. They have a manuscript wish list, but be careful. Some of the agents are no good. And uh, there, you want to make sure you research the houses, the literary agencies. I'm with Writer's House. I was blessed to be with them. I did have some not so great agents before, you know, but um, I've been with my agents over six years now. And uh, Susan Ginsberg, she did The Color Purple and a whole, The World According to Garp. She took me on along with her uh, co agent. Stacy Testa, and uh, I don't know how they had the patience for me because they had to teach me too. Not many agents want to, they're heavily editorial, 
and um, not many agents are like that. They um, they don't have the time. But now, even more so, uh, publishers, editors don't have the time. So it's up to the job for the agent to polish and get that editorially ready. Because the agents, uh, the editors are uh, wearing a million hats. I did have a really good experience with uh, the people, um, my editor. Uh, we sh we got in another editor. We I was working with two, and we just kept doing so several drafts, several drafts. You know, and they were very gentle too and respectful. You know, what uh, do you think this would be? You know, or that they would always ask. You know, instead of trying to force anything on me. Uh, they were they were very very respectful, and uh, they helped me develop. Cussie's, you know, like what I'm saying, I'm done. Cussie's done said all she wanted to say about that. They would say, don't you think, can you tell us how Cussie is feeling right now? So then I would get back in there and write, you know, and, and whereas before that never was available. So what they did was they took a good book and they made it great, I feel. I had the, and you, that's what you want, an editor that's going to, you know, make your book great, you know. And that's what they do. They keep pushing you to dig deeper and deeper, you know. Because when I sold the book, it did not have the uh, same ending that it has now. It had a totally different ending. And I sat on it a year. It bugged me, and it bugged me. And I talked with Sarah and some other, and I just couldn't get it. And then all of a sudden, one day it just struck me, this is a fairy tale ending that I'm giving Cussie. And I just ripped it up, and um, and my editor was like, but I took it to my agent, and she just came back crying. She said, because she, she knows Kentucky now. She's been to Kentucky. She's talked, heck, in our email, I've got her talking Kentucky. And she's New York, born and raised. But anyways, um, so she said, this is it. And she was bawling, and she said, this is, this is the honesty that it needed. And then the beginning... I had three different openings in the beginning, and uh, three very different. And what I did is I let the editorial team pick what they wanted. So it was fine with me, you know, to have that opening of 1936. So that's what they they picked to set the tone they wanted. So, but you gave them choices. I did. Yeah, because I got the ending I wanted. Heck with it. <laughs> I fall for that ending. Uh, so, anyways, um, and it, you know, so I was really happy about that. Also, the book has changed covers. A lot of times, and for those that don't know it, the the book title and the cover is not the final word of the author. It's up to the publisher. It's all in a standard contract everywhere. And so this book started out with a familiar bluette, was the name of it, for a damselfly. Then my agent wanted, uh, everybody in her office wanted to change it, and she wanted to do Kentucky Blue. And I told her, you ain't getting me killed <laughs> with those ball fans. And I couldn't make them understand. You're not, don't do this. And I finally, after a week, I was like, look, you defer to the business. I'll defer to the South. You just trust me. So then it went to the borrowing branch. But uh, the editor 
they thought, their team thought, that a lot of young people wouldn't know that libraries were called borrowing branches back then. Well, I liked it. But, and so then they picked the Bookwoman of Troublesome Creek, which was a, a kind of, fought them a little bit on it because it was a mouthful for me. Uh, but, you know, that's so. And then the book cover that you have, um, Barnes & Noble came in and demanded that they change the book cover. And I don't know why everyone loved this one, loved it. And then here is HarperCollins. I love this one. And this uh, one that they did was just so draw-dropping to me because it's a, a metaphor. It is just, why is this woman being smeared? It was both sad and beautiful, and it just really struck me. And so then um, Sourcebooks came back and slashed her across. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a lot of things in publishing. Um, I was going to play this song for you all, the full song that Ruby Friedman uh, made up, and it's, it's beautiful. Like I said, it's available on YouTube and everything. Did y'all have any more questions? I'm just curious about Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, so no, no. I uh, yeah. Uh, hold on. First of all, you know, like with the mountain man, I'd seen him around, you know, and everything. I knew he wasn't going to have a Christmas dinner, and I invite him up top of the mountain and started learning his story. I'd known him several years, but I didn't know him, so to speak. And so we just I just listen. A lot of times I'm listening uh, to people. And your stories are not going to come from, from anybody high and fancy. They're going to come from everyday folk like you that have stories about their childhood and just things, their grandparents. You know, that's where you're going to get those stories if you just kind of shut up and listen to him a little bit. Because, I mean, I could pro hardly understand his language. I mean, he spoke with such an affliction. But, uh, boy, he had a story. He had a, an amazing story. You know, I just couldn't imagine being up in that fire tower like that and um, doing that work, you know. So I just listen. I listen a lot. Till I have to talk to you all. And then y'all can tell me to hush anytime because sometimes I get nervous and I. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Anything else? Y'all want to hear the song? All right. Your face, 
Thank you all for coming. Thank you.